Whether you're out to land your first job or looking to move on to your next best role in your career path, there's no avoiding the interview process. Love it or hate it, it's something that we all have to deal with as a part of managing a career. So why not make it the best possible experience for you and your interviewer? After all, it's much more fun to be blown away in an interview than it is to feel like it was a waste of time. In this episode, I go through my top three tips for interview preparation to help you be the best possible you for when you go into your next interview. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Progress Over Perfection Coaching Podcast. My name is Patrick Dedrick, and I'm the founder of Progress Over Perfection Coaching and your host. Progress Over Perfection Coaching is a podcast focused on career management and development by offering insight on how to build an intentionally balanced and purpose-filled career. Today, our episode covers a topic that we all have to deal with as a part of managing a career that can also strike fear and anxiety into the hearts of even the most seasoned professional, interviewing. If you've ever had a job, You've gone through the interview process and emerged victorious. And while you should celebrate that success, my experience has taught me that even the most successful interviews often leave the interviewees wishing that they had done something differently as a part of the process to show up more favorably than they thought that they did. So if you happen to be riding that high of landing a job after a successful interview and want to reflect on where you might have been sharper or trying to get past some interview roadblocks that seem to be standing in your way, there's something here for you. In this episode, I'll go over my top three tips that I've picked up over the years of both being interviewed and interviewing others to help you be as prepared as possible for your next interview. Interestingly enough, this topic was the first one that came to mind in the earliest iterations of what would eventually become this podcast nearly three years ago. I'm actually glad that this took more time to bake in the oven before getting this episode out here. I feel that since then I've been able to sharpen these tips from where they were back then, if only due to getting more interview and interviewing experience under my belt. Now, just to make sure that you know what you're getting into, these three steps are solely focused on the preparation for your interview. They assume that you've already secured an interview and will also not go into the actual interview itself. There are a lot of interview tips out there to help you land your next job, and a lot of what's out there is good advice. But these tips that I've found tend to be most useful to make sure that I show up as prepared as possible when I interview for a job. I've tried to distill down all of the best practices that I've either honed or acknowledged that I still need to hone to leave you with three straightforward tips. No matter the job you're interviewing for, if you apply these the next time you're preparing for an interview, I guarantee you'll show up as a much stronger, more prepared candidate. Now, I'm by no means an interview expert. I don't have a perfect track record of landing every job I interviewed for, and in hindsight, that's probably a good thing. But by doing some rough math, I've been in the hot seat between 50 and 75 times and been on the opposite side of the table about as many. Now, while what I want to share here is what I feel works well in an interview, you should know that these tips are the product of many, many missteps. And I really wish that I had this kind of context and insight to put to use for even half of the times that I was interviewed. It certainly would have been less embarrassing. My top three tips that I'm going to share are know your story, do your research, and prepare and practice. I'll go through each of these in detail to help you understand what I mean by them and how you can put them to use for you. As I go through each of these steps, I'll also give some context on how you might apply these tips differently if you're interviewing for a job internal to your current organization or, more traditionally, looking externally. 
The approach for each of these bits of advice won't differ greatly, but I found that there are some things that are good to either account for or expect when it comes to how you prepare for your interview, depending on your relationship to the employer. Now first, and possibly most crucial of these tips is to know your story. I say that this is the most crucial tip because it's so applicable to situations beyond interview preparation. Whether you are, wherever you are in your career, you have a story about you, what you've accomplished, where you are, and how all this makes sense for where you want to go. If you have a clear story, then you control the narrative about you. This can include how you walk through your experience and what you've done personally and professionally that have led you to where you are and what you're looking for. Anyone can read your resume to see the years that you spent working and where you worked, but your story is how these experiences all tie together to make you, you. Here's where you can tap into all that work that you've done on your career map to this point. And if you need a refresher on how to build a career map or a plan, feel free to check out our first five episodes that talk about your career map through the lens of Ikigai. Now, with regards to a specific job that you might be interviewing for, the last part of your story is key. Where you want to go should clearly show that the role you're interviewing for fits into your story. This should be a job that you clearly want, not only because of the job itself, but because of what the job will lead to. Now, in telling this part of your story, you should be sure to be authentic. Odds are, and let's be completely honest here, this probably isn't your dream job. So don't, you don't want to disingenuously portray it as such. That can come across as fake and pretty immediately turn off interviewers. At least, I can say that it does when I hear that kind of thing in it, as an interviewer. On the one hand, you don't want to overshadow the role that you're targeting by overemphasizing where you want to go more long term. This can make you seem disconnected and take attention away from you being a good fit for this role in particular. Ultimately, this role should be the next logical chapter in the story you're telling about you. It should make sense for why you were led here and where it will take you. It should speak to your fit for this specific role and highlight your potential to do more over time. Most interviewers, at least the, or most interviews, at least the ones that I've been a part of on either side of the table, start with the candidate getting a chance to talk a little bit about themselves. When I'm the interviewer, I like to call this the resume walk. It's a chance for the candidate to tell me anything about them that they think I should know. If you're given this kind of chance, this is the perfect opportunity for your story. Depending on where you are in your career, you may have a significant amount of experience and roles that have been important to getting you to where you are. And it may be tempting to recap all of those experiences as you figure out how to tell your story. I'd really caution against that. After all, your interviewers have likely read your resume and don't need you to walk through line by line. You typically only have an hour or so with your interviewers, and when you get a chance to tell your story, it's the only chance you have to truly steer the conversation. So don't squander it, or at worst, risk giving your interviewers an early chance to zone out. Now, another way to think about your story is what you might hear called your elevator pitch. You can think about it as a very tight, succinct recap of you that you can tell in a couple of minutes, which actually would be a fairly long elevator ride. But essentially, it's the distilled version of you what you can bring to the table and where you want to go. This can be especially useful if you're interviewing internally or you happen to know your interviewers. It can often feel awkward to go through all of the motions of an interview and the process of getting to know the interviewee if you already actually know them. So there can be a tendency to skip that first part of an interview where you might get to tell your story. That's where the elevator pitch can really come in handy. If you happen to get rushed past the chance to share your story, I found it can be effective to ask for the chance to give a quick overview. And the elevator pitch is a great way to do that. Again, this is about the only chance that you have as the interviewee to take control of the dialogue, and you can't give that up. Even if you know your interviewers, odds are they don't know everything that you might want them to know about your story, your aspirations, and your qualifications. 
Now, as a side note, this is also an opportunity to get ahead of any questions you might anticipate about your background or experience. For example, if you've held a number of jobs at different companies over a short period of time, you can proactively address concerns of you being a serial job hopper by explaining the rationale behind those decisions. For example, this is exactly the case for me, where in the first four years of professional experience, I held jobs at six different companies. My story to address this, that I was early in my career and was looking to get as broad a range of experiences as possible in the supply chain field, and the roles that I did end up having showed that diversity. I was focused on finding the next challenge to ensure that I was growing as quickly as possible, gaining breadth of, prof of proficiency. Now, lucky for me, that was a true statement. But even then, I know that this story was not well received in some interviews uh, that I, where I shared the story. And there's no failure-proof story that's guaranteed to appeal to every interviewer. The important thing to keep in mind is that the story make logical sense, that it's accurate and authentic to who you are and what you're looking for. Now, one last bit of advice I offer on building your story is to leave out any jab at any previous employer or slight that might indicate that you were unhappy or were overworked or some other negative circumstance that might have befallen you. Those things can all be true about a past job and could have led you to look for other opportunities, but those things shouldn't be the sole or even most important reason why you're looking at the job that you're going to be interviewing for. Plus, it's incredibly distracting to be talking about why you're excited about a role with a company and punctuate that excitement with disdain for previous roles or employers, which should really have nothing to do with what makes the role you're looking for a great fit for your career. Some of the best advice I got early on in my career was that you should always make sure that when you're looking for a new role, that is because you want to run towards that opportunity, not because you're running away from your current situation. That advice came from my friend and previous manager, Clark Potter. And for more pearls of wisdom from Clark, you can check out my interview with him from last year. And I'll link that in the show notes for easy access. The next tip is to do your research. This can sound kind of boring, and you likely will have already done some research as you applied for jobs. But as you prepare for your interview, it'd behoove you to know something about the company you're applying with. What's their company culture? How do associates feel about that company? Have there been any current events that the company's been a part of that might tell you something about it? You can usually find tidbits about a company's culture in their About Me sections of their websites, or may even have a section dedicated to what it is about them that makes them unique. If you're lucky, the company you're looking at may even have a handy uh, set of words or phrases that define their culture. For example, Nike has what they call maxims, Mars has principles, and P&G has purpose, values, and principles. In a world where consumers are looking to relate to companies on a more personal, values-based level, it's becoming increasingly easier to find statements to help make those connections possible. So, why not put some of that to use in your interview preparation? Now, as with all aspects of preparation, as you conduct your research and prepare how you can speak to it in an interview if asked, the important thing is to find connection that's authentic and honest. Nothing sounds more out of place and cringy than a blatant regurgitation of corporate culture statement you found online that's completely lacking of any insight or tie to your story. The key here is to be able to show that you've done your research and put some serious thought into how what you found resonates with you and what you want and where you want to go. Now, if this happens to be an internal opportunity with your current employer, then the scope of this research can get pretty extensive. You can talk to others close to the role or even hiring manager in advance to learn more about that role and what they're looking for. You can also learn about any intention or thought that they may have for how the role or team is going to grow or change over time, which can give you an edge in how you prepare as you have perspective on those changes. It's also a good idea to do your research on the team and hiring manager. You can and should apply that adage that 
People don't leave a company, they leave a manager here with that same intent. The opportunity you're looking at could be a perfect fit for your next step, but if the hiring manager isn't a good fit for you, be it their style, reputation, or something else, then you should put some serious thought into whether you think the role is really a right fit. I hate to say it, but I have had an experience that fit this circumstance perfectly. There was a role that was exactly what I was looking for. It had exposure to new skills that I was looking to gain, and it would have allowed me to work with different parts of the business that I felt would have given me inroads for my next next, next best move, and the work itself seemed challenging and rewarding. However, I knew for a fact that I did not want to work for the hiring manager. Our styles didn't mesh, and no matter how amazing the role was, I knew that this ultimately wouldn't be a good fit. Now, that's all for this tip, and it's pretty short. But don't let that brevity of advice on research trick you into thinking that this is a quick process. You're absolutely doing yourself a favor by investing time in this area and doing thorough research. Now, the final tip is prepare and practice. And it sounds kind of like a no-brainer, right? Of course you need to prepare. However, when I say prepare and practice, I mean that in my experience, it should be almost treated like a second job and serious time should actually be invested. This prep and practice includes going over your story so that you know it by heart and can rattle it off second nature and naturally. It also includes the kind of answers you could give to the questions in the interview. Now, there are two kinds of questions in an interview that you can prepare for, technical and behavioral questions. Technical questions are going to be related to the nuts and bolts of the job, function, or the industry at hand. I'm not going to go into detail on those because the range of topics is so broad while also super specific to whatever job you might be applying for. All you can do there is ensure that you know the content as best as possible. Now, while that sounds kind of like a cop-out for advice, it really is pretty straightforward. For example, if you're interviewing for a role that involves writing code in a particular programming language, then you better know the specifics of that language to answer any uh, very technical questions. So given that, my advice is really going to be focused on behavioral question prep. So to make sure we're on the same page, behavioral questions are those that ask for you to give an example of a time or to talk about an approach to a kind of problem that highlight how you behave. An example might be, tell me about a time where you didn't have all the information you needed to accomplish a task. How did you ensure you did things correctly? Now, you can Google behavioral questions to get an extensive list of questions that can give you an idea of what to expect. But in my experience, you can group behavioral questions into about five themes, give or take. Dealing with ambiguity, delivering results, managing conflict, communication, and developing yourself and others. So there are different facets that questions can take, but generally one or more of these themes tie to most behavioral questions. Keeping that in mind, that helps to prevent a sense of overwhelm or that you might have to prepare dozens of responses to questions. And honestly, I wish someone would have told past me this, as I've definitely tried to prepare or rehearse answers for those laundry lists of behavioral questions before an interview. My advice, think of five or six examples for your most meaningful work. These could be things that you're proud of, that you learned the most from, or brought you the most enjoyment. Now for each of those examples, try to link as many of the five themes to them as possible. Don't force it, but I'm going to bet that each of your examples tie to at least one theme. It's okay if you have more than one example for each theme, and it's actually better that way. Now, if your examples don't tie to any of these themes, or you see any theme or two underrepresented, and should probably make sure to go hunting for another example that makes sure that you're covered on all fronts. And once you have your examples and they're mapped to the themes, then you can start to craft your question responses. So as you prepare to your answers to potential questions, I highly recommend using the tried and true star method. This is definitely not something I came up with, but I found that not only 
Do many interviewers look for it? The method's just perfect for making sure that your answers are all clear and easy to follow. If you're unfamiliar, the STAR, or S-T-A-R, method refers to a structure for how you answer a question. First, you start with a situation, or what happened, then detail the task at hand that you were faced with, followed by the action that you took to address the task, and finally the result of your action. Ultimately, your response should be very specific to a situation where the result you talk about can be quantified. As you prepare your answers, you don't necessarily need to follow calling out the situation, task, action, and result by name. And in fact, sometimes that can feel a little awkward to do that. But given the choice between the two, I would definitely say that it's much better to explicitly call out each step of the STAR method than not, as the alternative can really result in kind of a meandering or theoretical response if you're not too intentional about it. Personally, when I'm asked a question, I lead with my general approach to that kind of situation. Then I dive into the STAR response that demonstrates that approach and answers the question. So let's go back to the example of the question I gave earlier. Tell me about a time where you didn't have all the information you needed to accomplish a task. How did you ensure you did things correctly? So a response using the STAR approach might sound something like, well, when I'm faced with that kind of situation, I do all that I can to fill the knowledge gaps I may have, be it asking others or even doing some online research if possible. For example, I was put on a project where I had to make sure the new product we were making offshore could be imported without issue from Brazil. Now, my international trade compliance background was a little rusty, and I wasn't quite sure of all the specifics of our new product. So, I asked our product team for the technical specifications of our products and did some research based on that related to the harmonization tariff schedules to see what kind of restrictions or roadblocks might be present. From that research, I found that there was an additional filing we needed to make based on one of the included components. So I got that paperwork kicked off as soon as possible. Thankfully, I started the work in time and we got approval and the product was able to launch and be imported without error on time. And we delivered 100% of our orders for our product to our customers for the first six months post-launch. Now, while that example isn't necessarily technically accurate, it does follow the STAR method and hopefully gives you an idea of how you can craft your answers. The other thing to note is that the question asked was really focused on dealing with ambiguity, but even with that made up answer, it could easily apply almost without edit to other question themes like delivering results, communication, and developing yourself. Finally, we come to practice, and this is gonna look different for everyone. And I have friends and colleagues that insist that they don't practice, never have, not for anything like an interview or a test in college. They just deal well under pressure and tend to get hung up if they practice. Now, while that might be true, I honestly do tend to call a little bit of BS on that and have observed it to be more of an excuse for laziness. I don't mean to be polarizing, but I feel pretty strongly that practice is a key aspect of preparing for an interview, as it ensures that you have a good idea of what you want to say and when you want to say it. It makes sure that you're as equipped as possible to share the best of you and show up as favorably as possible. Again, it takes time, But if the role you're interviewing for is one that you truly want, then that time invested should absolutely be worth it. So like I mentioned, practice is going to look different for every person, but I'll share my own routine in case it sparks any ideas for you. First, I write down each of my examples and I use the very literal star method. I carve out a section of the page for the situation, task, action, result. At this point, I write things out pretty much verbatim to how I think I would say them. This isn't final, but it helps to get the first draft down on paper. After I have the example, I list out themes that I feel an example could be used for. Assuming I have five or six examples in each of those themes covered by at least two examples, then I'm ready to move on to the next step. So I try to make sure that I have at least a week to practice before my interview. 
and I usually can't control this, but if possible, this just makes sure that I can get the amount of practice in that I feel is necessary for me to feel comfortable. Practice for me looks like pretending I'm in an actual interview and answering a behavioral question. I go through my examples and speak to them like I'm in the interview. And I try not to read the example. I don't want to be too scripted, but I want to make sure that I hit on all the high notes. Also, when I say that I pretend like I'm in the interview, it means that I'm actually saying my answers out loud, not just in my head. This helps me to make sure that the answers sound right and that I get comfortable actually saying the words. In the past, I try and practice in my head, but that usually left me feeling more confident than I really was, and when it came time to the interview, my responses didn't come quickly and not nearly as completely as I would have wanted. Personally, I love to practice my responses while driving. There's something about the second nature action of driving that helps me to get in the zone of responding to imaginary behavioral questions. And while I feel like I'm a madman at times, talking to myself, pretending like I'm being interviewed. At the very least, it looks like I'm just on a phone call in my car to anyone that happens to see me at a traffic light. Now, I also don't just practice my examples from different thematic views. I practice my story as well. I actually kind of do a complete mock interview by myself, starting at the beginning with my story, and then I dive into answering three to four behavioral questions using my examples. This is also a good chance to try and see how long my responses and story take me to get out. It's good to try and keep things to time to make sure that you aren't rambling. I tend to assume that I've got a 45 to 60 minute interview and then plan to spend no more than five minutes on my story, then five to 10 minutes for each behavioral question, assuming three to four questions. Then I also like to prepare a few questions that I know I'm going to ask at the end of the interview and a lot for about five to 10 minutes of that. And this is really a really critical aspect of preparing for an interview. And I can't stress how important it is to have well thought out questions to ask uh, at the end of your interview. So don't forget about those. Now, like I said, I like to have about a week to practice, uh, when I am practicing and I typically spend every moment of what would be free time or idle time actually practicing. So I want to make sure that I have my examples ready to go and as second nature as possible when it comes time for the real thing. Another option in this vein is to ask someone to do a mock interview with you where they pretend to be the interviewer and the level of interaction can range from just being a living, breathing person to hear you speak all the way to a critique of your answers, presence, and delivery. It really is up to you. And personally, I prefer to practice by myself, and given the amount of practice that I know I need to feel comfortable, I really can't bring myself to ask someone to make that kind of time commitment with me. Now, if I were to put a number to it, I'd say that for a normal interview, I go through a mock interview about 10 times, meaning I spend potentially about 10 hours alone just on practice. To add it all up, starting from scratch, I typically spend between 20 and 30 hours preparing for any given job interview, from the point that I apply to the time that I sit down for my first interview. Now, that might be a little presumptuous to start preparing once I apply, and I certainly haven't been interviewed for every job that I've applied for, but I do find that the process of thinking through or polishing your story can start that early, and any effort put into that process isn't truly wasted, even if you don't get the interview. After all, any work you can put into refining how you succinctly talk about you and your impact is time well spent, even if it doesn't immediately pay out in the form of a new job. And that's it. If you follow these steps, you'll have your story, research, and practice examples and questions ready to go for your next interview. And I'm confident that you'll be able to show up in the best possible light. Now, like I said, these are just my top three tips. There are many, many more useful pieces of advice to consider, especially if you broaden your scope to the job searching and the interview itself. And that's where you come in. 
I'm curious to hear what your top three pieces of interview advice are, and I'd love to hear from you. So you can send any of your own tips and tricks to me at patrick at prgscoach.com. And with that, I'll sign off with a certain type of perfection can only be realized through a limitless accumulation of the imperfect. Thanks for listening in, and we'll talk more in our next episode.